turn to Romans chapter 3, and our passage is Romans 3, 27 through 31. So the very last paragraph of Romans 3 this morning will be our text. This is the word of the Lord. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we bow before you now, acknowledging our great need for your help. We pray that your spirit would come and open up our eyes, that we may behold the wonderful things in your word. Father, we pray for faith. We would have faith in Christ, faith in your word, that we would trust what you say and follow and obey what you say. We can only do this, Father, by your grace. Help us, O Lord, now we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. It was in uh, late August 2006, and uh, towards the end of uh, my first summer of pastoral ministry at our former church in Iowa, when uh, my wife told me the good news. She was pregnant. And it had been uh, kind of a rough summer for us. A woman who was a much beloved member of our church had just passed away from cancer. It was a difficult funeral and only the second funeral that I had ever led. It was a hard time, but then unexpectedly for us, I woke up one morning and I hear this good news. So we scheduled an appointment with a doctor so that we could have it uh, confirmed, and sure enough, it was confirmed. We were going to have our first child, uh, but we were, we were cautious about sharing the news with anyone else. Uh, we, we waited a couple of months and then uh, told our parents, and announced it to our church, and it was good news, and everyone was happy for us, especially our parents. But as we made our way through the pregnancy, uh, more and more, we had to think about what this good news really meant for us, how the good news of becoming parents would change our lives. We had to get a lot of stuff so that we would be prepared to take care of a baby. At that time, we were both working. So we had to decide how, how often Greta would continue to work and make plans uh, for child care when she did. And as the, the due date approached, Greta asked me one night, um, so what's your plan if I go into labor on a Sunday morning? <laughs> well, I hadn't thought of that. But that was something that we ended up having to be prepared for because 
our first two children were born on Sundays. So, you see, good news always brings with it certain implications, right? Certain implications that will affect our lives. And if you were here last week, then you heard the good news of how God uh, saves sinners through the work of Christ and our faith in that work. Sinners can be justified. They can be declared righteous in the sight of God through faith in what Christ has accomplished. For, for guilty, condemned sinners who were bound for hell like you and I, that is even greater news than a young couple hearing that they're going to have their first child. And, and like that good news, the gospel of justification by grace alone through faith alone also comes with certain implications. A few of those implications are addressed in our passage for this morning here in Romans 3, 27 through 31. Uh, so these verses uh, address three profound implications of the gospel for us. And these are powerful realities that will be experienced and enjoyed by all those who put their hope and faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation. So our main theme of this little paragraph here at the end of Romans 3 is that the gospel of justification by faith alone humbles sinners, unites believers, and empowers obedience to the law. So once again, the Apostle Paul is back to his uh, diatribe style here of, of rhetoric, answering uh, questions that may be posed by those trying to understand his argument. And in these five verses, there are six questions that the Apostle Paul addresses here, with a few of the questions directly related to each other. And they focus on, on three main implications or ramifications of the gospel. If God justifies sinners who trust in the finished redeeming work of Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection, then, then these things will follow. First, that rather than boasting about what we have done, the gospel humbles us. That's the first two verses, 27 and 28. Secondly, rather than promoting the superiority of certain people, the gospel unites believers of all different backgrounds in the church. That's verses 29 and 30. And third, in verse 31, rather than voiding the law as useless, the gospel establishes the law and empowers believers to obey it. So that's what we see here this morning. So let's go first to the first two verses. The gospel humbles sinners in verses 27 and 28. So here Paul seems to be identifying himself with the perspective of his native Jewish background when he asks, then what becomes of our boasting? The Jews were known as a proud people because of their identification as God's covenant people and because of their knowledge of and obedience to the law. They knew they were distinct. They knew they were special. They had the oracles of God. They had the special religious ceremonies which identified them as the people of God. Uh, if you would have, would have asked a Jew in Paul's day what, what gave them their assurance that God would accept them into his kingdom, they would have pointed to their knowledge of the law and their committed obedience to it. 
their fingers would have been pointed back at, at themselves for what they had, for who they were, for what they had done. However, as we all know, boasting is not just a characterization of the Jews. Paul noted in chapter 1, verse 30, as he was listing out the sins of all humanity, all humanity who have turned away from God, that we are all boastful. We all love to point at ourselves and give ourselves the credit for why God would welcome us into his kingdom, why God would, would want to have us. As one man put it, boasting is the language of fallen self-centeredness. But now, if justification is by faith alone, apart from any works of the law, then there is absolutely no place for boasting. It is excluded, the apostle says, by the law or by the principle of faith. As Paul argued back in verses 21 through 26, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is, we sin with our works, and all of our works, even the best of our works, fall short of what they ought to be to glorify God. And then verse 23 goes on. And are justified by his, that is by God's grace, as a gift. As a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. That is, God put forward as a willing sacrifice to satisfy his just wrath against our sins. God did that. He sent his son to do that. His son willingly took on our sins on the cross, gave his life for us. And that grace, he says, is to be received by faith, by trust. The gospel teaches us that we are all guilty sinners before God who only deserve to be condemned and punished by our just and holy creator. And yet, instead of that, out of his great love, for us, he sent his one and only son to live the righteous life that we couldn't live and then to lay down his life and die as our substitute, receiving the punishment that we deserve for our sins. And God then raised him from the dead to display for the world that he accepted Christ's saving work for those who will now put their faith in him. Our justification before God then is a gift to be received by way of faith. And faith is trusting and having confidence in Christ and in his word. Verse 28, then, is a summary of the gospel. One that we ought to hold very dear and know by heart. Look at verse 28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That is, we, believers, we, God's True people, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Again, faith here is faith in Christ, or believing what God has said regarding Christ and his life, death, and resurrection. So notice that it is just faith, it's not faith and something else. We hold that one is justified by faith, not faith and, not faith and works. It's not faith and works, it's faith apart from works. 
or without any actions of obedience to God's commands. So know this, brothers and sisters, we cannot add anything to the gospel. Once you add something to the gospel, you actually take away from its effectiveness. It is no longer the good news. The gospel is not that you are justified by faith and doing good works, or by faith and taking care of the poor, or by faith and giving enough money to your favorite TV preacher's ministry, or by faith and voting the right way in the next election. There is no and in the verse. In fact, Martin Luther, when he translated this verse into the German language, actually inserted a word. He inserted the word alone after justified by faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith alone, he said, apart from works, which, of course, upset many of the priests and uh, the, the divines in the Roman Catholic Church. The church at that time what was dominated by the Roman Catholic doctrine of justification by faith and participating or partaking in the sacraments, or justification by faith and being purged of your sins and uncleanness in purgatory before you'd ever be considered righteous enough to be in God's presence. The Reformation was regarding, uh, was responding to that false teaching. It was a recovery of the biblical gospel. Luther wanted to make clear in his translation that the gospel is that God declares sinners to be righteous in his sight based solely on their faith in what Christ has accomplished for them in his saving work on the cross. We are justified by faith alone apart from any works of the law. And this is one of the key reasons why the gospel of God's grace is so offensive to people, especially to people who, who may seem very religious. We want to be able to, to point to something in us, something that we do or, or have done as the reason why God would justify us. We, we want to point to our record of obedience or at least to the sins that we have not done or to our participation in that religious ceremony of baptism or communion or, or having gone through confirmation in our church, we want to point to that accomplishment and say, that is why we can trust that we are justified before God because we have done that thing. But these two verses declare that we can't do that. We can't do that. The gospel says all boasting is excluded because the only way we can be justified is by faith apart from works of the law therefore the gospel humbles us it shows us that we have nothing to do with our salvation we, we, we cannot earn it. it it is all of god and his grace the only thing we contribute to it is the sins that jesus had to die for on the cross we have done all the sinning while Christ has, has done all the saving. That is the gospel. Therefore, there can, be, there can be no boasting in our salvation. There can be absolutely no pride when we compare ourselves with unbelievers. We cannot point the finger at ourselves. We can only point it up to Christ. I put a quote by Pastor Bob uh, LaForge in your bulletin today. 
uh, that says, uh, pride wants to earn divine acceptance. Humility simply believes it. That is what this is getting at. If we can earn it, then we can boast. But we can't boast because it is impossible to earn our acceptance before God. He has already done it all for us. We simply must believe and receive it. A little over 20 years ago, when I was a pastoral intern at the uh, First Evangelical Free Church in Sioux Falls, uh, there were a few men in that church who, uh, whenever you would uh, greet them and uh, ask them, you know, the common question, you know, how are you doing? How are you? They would always respond, much better than I deserve. And brothers and sisters, that is a story for every Christian. We are doing much better than we deserve. For we deserve God's wrath for our sins, but instead we have received his grace and have been justified before him not by anything we have done, but by our faith in Jesus. So rather than boasting in ourselves, we, we, we boast in him and what he has done. As uh, the song says, O foolish pride, be crucified. The work is finished. All my boast is in Jesus. All my hope is his love. And I will glory forever in what the cross has done. The second implication is the gospel unites believers. This is verse 29 and 30, the gospel unites believers. Let's read those again. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. One of the most challenging and uh, also glorious implications of the gospel is that it brings together all kinds of different people from all kinds of different backgrounds. Justification by faith alone is unifying because since it is by faith, that means anyone can be justified. Not just those who know and do the works of the law. And this can be challenging for us. When we come to faith, we become a part of the church or all those who, like us, have also been declared righteous before God by their faith in Christ, including people who did not grow up like we did. People who come from a, dif a different ethnic culture. People who look much different than we do. People who even speak a different language than we speak. All who have come to know and trust Jesus as the Lord and Savior will stand before God together on equal ground. There is no superiority for one group or one ethnicity or one family or one denomination over another. And we will see as we make our way through Romans that this was a challenge for the church in Rome as well as for most of the new churches in the early days which were made up of both Jews and Gentiles who had each come to believe the gospel. The believing Jews were tempted to look down upon the Gentile believers for, you know, they were converted idolaters. They, they hadn't grown up knowing and memorizing the scriptures. They couldn't even sing the Psalms. 
when they came into the church. And they obviously hadn't been obeying the law. While the Gentile Christians would be tempted to look down on their brothers and sisters from a Jewish background, for, for they had grown up reciting and memorizing the scriptures and eating all kinds of strange different foods. And, and, and so many of them had rejected that, that Jesus was the Messiah when he came, and it was their leaders who turned against the Lord and got him crucified. So both groups would have had their reasons to gather in you know, different corners of the room that they were meeting in for worship and you know, point their fingers at the others and feel a bit superior to the others. Well, listen to these questions again, and you should be able to hear how obvious the answers should be for us, especially for those of us who have come to believe the gospel and know what it's like to share a room like this with each other. Again, verse 29. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? So Paul restates a deeply held conviction and confession among all faithful Jews. He says God is one. That comes, of course, from the Shema. Uh, it's a Hebrew confession of faith that they would recite daily from uh, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Shema is Hebrew for hear. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. That's what they would recite. The Lord our God, the Lord is, is one. There is not one God for the Jews and another one for the Gentiles. There is only one God. And this one God has made a way for the Jews who have who have sinned to be justified before him, not by works of the law, but by faith in his Son, in Christ. Therefore, it is the same way for all people who are guilty of sin to be justified by faith as well, so that there will be one people. From the very beginning, this was the plan, that, that God would work through the Jews to bring salvation to people from all nations of the earth. That's what the Lord promised to Abraham when he called him in Genesis 12, verse 3. He said, in you, that is through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now there is a system of interpreting the Bible that was introduced in the 1800s in Great Britain, and it's very popular among evangelicals. It was even pretty strong within the free church. And the early forms of it taught that there are two different peoples of God. And therefore, two different ways for those peoples to be saved. One for the Jews and another for the Gentiles. But we are being shown in these verses that there is one God and therefore one humanity made up of both Jews and Gentiles, and the one God has provided only one way of redemption that, that is the saving work of Jesus Christ that must be received by faith both for the Jew, the circumcised, and also for the Gentile, the uncircumcised. Paul is even more clear about this uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The church is made up of all kinds of different people. And there's probably no better illustration for this than, than what we just saw from, uh, uh, from Andy's uh, video uh, of the church worshiping together in Kenya. I mean, how, how different Andy and his team were from the rest of the believers that were worshiping in that church. You, you could kind of see it, couldn't you? How different they were from everyone else that were worshiping there. And yet, they were all united. All united in one spirit, worshiping the one God justified before God through, through his one way of redemption by faith in the one Savior. And we, this morning as we worshiped, were united with them as well. And all those, all those who are justified by faith in Christ. And finally, uh, last verse here, the gospel empowers obedience to the law, verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. See, it seems a common challenge to the gospel of justification by faith alone was that those who claimed that the apostles were trying to, to completely do away with the law. They didn't like what they were hearing about this, you know, by faith alone stuff, and they would challenge the apostles and say, you, you're trying to do away with the law. The law means nothing. The argument would, would go like this. If you are saying that God justifies sinners by faith alone and not by works of the law, well then, as long as you have this faith, then the law isn't needed, right? Not needed at all. It can be safely ignored. It can be done away with. Maybe the law helped to show you your sin and your need for Christ's work of justification, but once you've come to faith, well, the law no longer has a purpose for the person of faith. Once again, there are some Christians who would argue something similar even today that would call themselves evangelicals. They argue the main purpose of the law was to show you your sin and your need for justification, but once you have trusted in Christ for your, for your justification before God, from that moment on, you are justified and therefore no longer in need of the law. The law holds no authority over your life anymore. You've been completely set free from it. Therefore, it really doesn't matter what you do now. You're justified before God. It doesn't matter what you do, whether or not you obey. But verse 31 is showing us that that was not Paul's view of the law. That was not Paul's understanding of the gospel. And therefore, that is not what the gospel is teaching. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, he says. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So the justified uphold or they establish the law. We continually confirm and validate the law by how we live before the face of God. Although we are not justified by obedience to the law, it isn't the case that we then have no concern for the law. 
When I say the law, I'm talking about Ten Commandments, God's, you know, summary of the, of the Ten Commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Paul is pointing at here. We don't completely ignore or throw the law out. No, rather, we seek to uphold the law. We both desire and intentionally seek to obey the law. The Old Testament scriptures teach us that for those who have come to belong to God by way of the new covenant, through justification by faith in the sacrificial work of Christ, well, then God said in, in Jeremiah 31, 33, that he would put my law within them. He says, I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So justified believers, God says, he will write his law on their hearts. They will love his law. They will follow his law. Their lives will be guided by his law. And then John 14, 15, Jesus says that if we love him, we will keep his commandments. Now, Romans 3, 31 is just a very short verse on this. Paul will get into this teaching much, much more later in chapters 6 and, and 8. But what this is pointing to is the transformation that happens when a sinner repents and puts his or her trust in Jesus for justification. The Holy Spirit comes into your life, changes your heart, and rather than hating God, you, you love him. And rather than trying to suppress the truth in unrighteousness, you love the truth. You proclaim the truth. And you orient your lives according to the truth. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you seek to uphold that law. Not so that you can make yourselves right with God, but because you have already been made right with God through your faith in Christ. And that affects your heart so much that out of your love and gratitude for all that God has done for you in Christ, you seek to honor him by keeping his commandments. The psalmist in Psalm 119 is speaking for the believer when he declares, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. That is, I think about it all the time. And then earlier in Psalm 119 and verse 16, he says this, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And then he prays in verses 33 and 34 of Psalm 119, which is the prayer of every genuine believer who has come to know the grace and mercy of God. He prays, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Charles Spurgeon was right when he declared to his congregation, there is no one who so much loves the law of God and delights in it after the inward man as the one who has been justified by faith. Another one of my favorite dead theologians is R.C. Sproul, and he said this about how the gospel does not nullify our obedience to the law. He said, true faith will inevitably manifest itself in the performance of works of obedience. The performance of works are the result of faith and the fruit of justification. So here we are now. We have all heard 
and been challenged by these three implications of the gospel, if you are a Christian and trust in Christ alone for your salvation, then these three things ought to be true of you. They won't be true of you in a perfect way. But they'll definitely be in a real and an ongoing way. You will be growing in humility rather than boastfulness. You will, be, you, you will point to Christ as your king, your savior, your shepherd, your everything, rather than yourself. You will know and live by the truth that you are nothing without Christ. You will also be united to other believers who are very different from you. You will not be prejudiced against others who don't look like you or who don't talk like you. You will not show preferential treatment to certain believers over others. You will be growing in your love for all those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And finally, you will be obedient to the law. Not in a, in a legalistic way. You will, you will not put any hope in your obedience or in your works. But out of your love and gratitude to Christ for his sacrifice for you, you will listen to his voice and you'll follow his commands. You'll go where he calls you to go. You'll do what he calls you to do. So brothers and sisters, let us pray for growth in these areas. We probably all feel it. We all need growth in these three areas of our hearts, of our lives. And if you know that they are not true for you, as they ought to be, repent. Come before the Lord, repent, confess it, seek the Lord's grace and mercy, and put all of your hope again in Christ to justify you, to change you, to so work in your heart that you become more and more like him. And he will surely do it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, um, we are in great need as we've considered these things this morning. We are in great, great need of your Spirit's work in our hearts that you would make these things more and more true for us. Lord, that we would be humble before you and give all of our praise and glory to you that we would love our brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter how different they are from us. And that we, Father, would seek to obey and honor you and your word. So, Lord, help us now, we pray. In the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen.